0: Welcome to DevCast, brought to you by Deverell Smith, the right people. DevCast is where property meets people, industry figures, news and views, what it takes to be your best. So sit back, earphones on and enjoy this edition of DevCast. Hello, uh, welcome to another edition of DevCast. My name is Andrew Deverell-Smith, I'm the founder of Deverell-Smith, and um, I am delighted to be joined on this episode um, by Michelle Hancock, an old friend, and more importantly, Managing Director of Development for the UK of Greystar, one of the global names and, and superstars in the multifamily, or dare I call it BTR space, we'll come on to that, I suppose, and um, so, uh, lots to talk about. I'm absolutely thrilled you're here. Thanks for joining me, first and foremost.
1: I really appreciate you having me here today. It's it's very exciting to be here.
0: No worries. So, I, I'm, I first met you at a barbecue. I yes, think, yes.
1: Three
0: or four years about ago? Five
1: years ago? Oh, my. I think it's been five years.
0: My. I know,
1: time flies.
0: Um. And so, great. So, five years is a perfect time yes. for us to sit down and reflect on a lot of things. Um. But before we go on and talk about real estate and all that good stuff, I want to talk about you um, and your background, really. If you could give, give, give us a story before real estate. That would be fascinating.
1: Sure, absolutely. So, my background let's see, let's go back to university. I majored in psychology. So I did a four-year program, uh, took psychology courses mainly. I did a liberal arts degree. So I had a variety of different courses. And then your last two years, you specialized, So you have probably 95% of your classes are in your specialty. And then I got out of university and realized that to get a job in psychology, you actually needed to have a, a master's degree or a PhD. So I said, okay, well, I guess I will be going back to school. Um, so I applied for different master's programs. Um, at this point, I'd moved to Baltimore, Maryland, and I wanted to go to Johns Hopkins University. So yeah. I got in there and I started a three-year graduate program in psychology. And it was really interesting. I learned a lot. I was working in inner city Baltimore as well with children and families. And then I was going to school, so I was doing work and full-time school, so it was quite a, quite a lot to do. But it was it was wonderful. And you don't actually start practicing psychology and counseling until the end of your second year. And when I started, I realized that it wasn't the right career for me. So I would be in these sessions with my clients, and I realized that I wasn't able to kind of leave that those. What we talked about at home, I would worry about it. I wasn't able to leave it at the job. I would kind of come home and think about it and worry, and they might not come back the next week, or you know, I just didn't feel like I was able. Av- I didn't have the right temperament, I think, to be able to just not not think about it. So, I made the decision to change careers. So at this point, I was I had done two years out of a three year master's. So you're about
0: twenty three, somewhere right. around
1: there. I was, I was, and I said, okay, I'm going to finish this graduate degree because I'd already done two out of three years. Yeah. But that last year was quite hard because I knew I, I wasn't going to do it. Yeah. And I just was getting through it. It was quite a lot of work. And I was also having to do counseling sessions with people as well. Although I learned so much about how to talk to people and work with people and learn and listen. I think that is something that's really helped me in my career is really sitting down with people and learning about their stories because everyone there's a reason why people act the way they do for everything. And it's really getting to know people and connecting with them. And I think relationships are the heart of everything. And so that actually, I think I didn't realize it at the time, but it set me up in my career. I think it really helped me. So my third year, I completed. And at the at around the midpoint of that year, I started looking into what else could I do? And I'd always been interested in business and more specifically real estate because my family had a business. My grandfather started a tire company back in Manassas, Virginia, when he was 16. And um, it went on, it, it grew. And then at the time, we had sold the operational business, but we had kept a lot of the real estate. And so I thought, well, it would make sense if I went into real estate development and then I could help my family Um with redeveloping some of the sites and so anyway I said okay I'm gonna specialize do real estate development because I was looking and do I do general business degree or do I go in and specialize and I thought well I'm going to do a master's of real estate development but what that meant is I had to start basically from scratch so I had to start taking classes um, just based like statistics and at the same college? In oh, no, I actually just went to community college because I had to take classes to try to get in to right. the real estate masters because I didn't have. You know, most all of the people that I went to that program with, they had had an undergraduate degree in like economics or real estate or something business related. But
0: psychology wouldn't.
1: I had some. I had some of the statistics. I right. had some math classes, but I didn't have all that I needed to get in because you had to have. You know, check the box on all these different classes and show that to get into the master's programs. So I then had to go back. I remember studying from like, I'd get up at five in the morning and I'd study all day and I'd go to bed about one in the morning. So that was my life for about, for for years actually, after, because once I got in, then that was my life as well. So I took all the classes needed. I checked the box there. I, you know, I studied constantly. I was always going for the extra help sessions and, anything that was offered I was taking up and then I applied and I I ended up getting into the program I wanted to go to and so I, I joined the masters of real estate development class um, I did it was quite challenging though because people said to me all the way through they were like why are you doing this you know why don't you just stay in psychology why, why on earth would you change careers I mean it was quite unusual and I was a little bit older than everyone else in the class yeah. And so from the beginning of it, it was just, you know, I remember my advisor said, um, you know, this is quite unusual. Are you, you know, are you sure you want to go into this? And I was like, trust me, you know, just let me give me a chance and I promise, you know, I'll prove that I, I'll do a great job. So, and I ended up, you know, I think I became kind of one of his favorites. I, I hope that's true. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, any, anyway, it was, those are some really challenging years, but. remember i spent a lot of time at my desk studying in the library but so
0: at a young age you'd come to the conclusion psychology wasn't for you but at a young age you came to the conclusion that real estate was yes and so i'm interested in um what was it that made you so sure at a pretty young age that actually that was the right call and that you were really going to apply Mm -hmm. yourself and What what did you see in it?
1: It was the family business part of things that led me there. I'd always been interested in the business and the running of the business. And my family, um, I was involved a little bit when I was younger. I would go to meetings and I would be very interested from, I remember from a really young age when I was like maybe 12 or something, I'd go to these meetings and I would ask questions. And I remember people would say like, oh, you know, you don't need to worry about that. And I was like, but this doesn't make sense. And I remember I, I was just, I was from a very, or I am from a very traditional Southern family in Virginia, and um, typically the women in my family didn't work. Um, they were, encur- you know, we were always encouraged to make excellent grades and study very hard and get, you know, maybe even several graduate degrees, but, you know, maybe not to use it necessarily. So I was kind of breaking out of the mold, which was... Unusual for, you know, that I think in my family that was quite unusual. But I'd always wanted, I'd always really wanted to work and I'd always really wanted to have a career. So I think for me, it was almost like pushing myself to something that I felt like, you know, I'd always strived to do. And I think because the men in my family were asked if they wanted to work in the family business, the women were not asked it became more of something that I would was striving to
0: do. Interesting. Yes.
1: So I don't think I've ever told a lot of people that. Well. So I'm revealing it now. I'm but, grateful.
0: Yeah. And as the psychologist, what does that tell me? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. So I, um, I think it's made me strive harder because I think when kind of you're told, you know, you don't need to do something or don't worry about it. For me, I know it, it just made me want to do it even more. So I, I had a lot of aspirations to work in the family business. However, what happened was when I got into development, I loved it so much, I decided to do my own thing. So I did help my family a bit. I advised them, yeah. but I, I kind of took on a path of my own.
0: Right. So, so I want to hear all about yeah. that now. <laughs> what, what, what was that path? What did you? What was your first deal? Everyone remembers their first, surely. Yes.
1: So I remember I part of the real estate program that I did, um, they wanted you to do an internship as well. And I remember I did an internship at a, at a small private, private equity firm in Baltimore. And I thought it was really interesting, but I knew from that internship that what I wanted to do was more hands-on real estate development because I liked the fact that you could, you know, work on a financial model, but then also see the building go up and have the more creative side of things as well. And so I then set my sights on, I'd like to work for a development company. And at that time, I think it was quite hard to get a job in development. And I found that the company I wanted to work for, um, uh, it was in Baltimore again, it was called the, the Bizuto group. And I thought they had very good values and I really liked what they stood for. And so I ended up just calling a lot of people in the company, including the CEO, I can't believe I did that now. But I was just, you know, said, can I please come in and talk to you? I'd really want to work here. And I think they just eventually thought, well, if this person keeps going, we might as well sit down and talk to her. Um, But it was a wonderful experience. And they actually let me do my internship there. And then I ended up getting hired full time. And then I, they gave me little parts of projects to begin with, and then one project and more projects. And so it kind of grew from there so
0: our u s listeners i'm sure may may be familiar with bazudo are u k listeners or european less so just give me a bit of a flavor of that organization and sure. and, and where you landed within it and sure. and the assets that you you started to work on
1: so uh the bazudo group they are um they have a contractor developer and an operator um in one so a bit similar to greystar as well um with everything kind of in in internal. Um, And they, at the time they managed, I think, 60,000 units in, in the US, but they were primarily like New York to Virginia. And I think they're much larger now, but I came on as a development associate. Well, I actually came on as an intern and then I became a development associate and then a development manager. And I worked on about four to five projects in Baltimore. Multifamily. Multifamily, all multifamily. So all of my experience was a multifamily development. Yep. And um, one of my favorite ones was called the, the Fitzgerald in Baltimore. It was actually a regeneration of an old parking lot. And it you know, I just saw the way this development just transformed the entire area. It was fascinating. And I think one of the things that, really struck me is the way the operations team worked so closely with the development team because it really was like a partnership. And then I saw the way having the on-site operations team was so powerful because the way they could service their customers, it's just unlike anything else. So I think I really learned that model to have the developer, the operator, the contractor in one. Right. And it it kind of set the foundations for me on the way that I thought it should operate, so I think seeing that, learning it from the ground, was was very powerful.
0: And how long were you with them?
1: Uh, so I was there about three and a half years.
0: Okay, and, and was the Baltimore project that was that was the main chunk of that time? I presume. The,
1: the, there was there were a few Baltimore projects. There was a project in Odenton, Maryland, um, called Flats One Hundred and Seventy, and then there was a project in Washington D.C. called cathedral commons so i was kind of you know across dc maryland um, and virginia so it was a it was quite an exciting time
0: and what did you you reference operating on the operating business yes what did they do what's the one thing you know what's the what did you take from that business that, that it that was the doing? pride
1: that people had in their work i will never forget and i'm seeing that same pride in the gray star operations teams in the uk now Um, I think that's really, it really struck me the way I would go around the projects with the, I remember the CEO, Vizzuto, Tom, he would take some of the new starters around at times with him and do site visits. And he would talk to us about the things he looked for. And I'll never forget walking around with him and he would see a piece of rubbish on the ground and he would pick it up. And I was like, this is so incredible because the pride he had in his projects and what he did You know, he didn't ask someone else to pick it up. He picked it up himself. And I think I saw that through the operational teams and they had such a sense of pride in what they did. They felt like the buildings that they managed, you know, that that was their asset. They knew everything about it. They knew all the customers. You know, they really created such a community and a place that people wanted to live and spend time in. And it was amazing the value that actually creates so it was really exciting to see that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's an interesting example of top-down leadership, isn't it? It really is. Um, it, it's
1: it's always stuck with me because I think seeing that in the leader of the company, you know, the the CEO, it just it's always left such an impression on me. And I know, you know, if I walk around and see something like, I just try to take care of it myself because I think that people learn from seeing their leaders do things.
0: So a nasty recruitment consultant question. Why leave? Right? You're learning a lot. Exactly. You're doing so well. You you like the people you're working for. Three and a half years is not a huge mm-hmm. amount of time. What?
1: It's a really good question. I wouldn't have left if we hadn't moved to the UK. Oh, since so then yes. So anyway, I rem- I'll never forget. It was a Friday afternoon, at two p.m. I was sitting in my office, and I got a phone call from my husband, and he said, "I know you're going to say no, but." And I thought, well, what kind of a conversation is this. Um, and he said, we have just had the opportunity to move to the UK for two years with my job. And I thought, okay, well, there's certain times in life when you're just given opportunities. And I thought this one was something that we shouldn't say no to. So I said, because you know, he knew how much I loved my job. And I said, well, let's find a way to make it work. And so it was quite scary deciding to move to London. I'd never, I mean, I'd traveled, but I'd never lived in another country. And we just bought a house in in the U.S. Literally, we like two months before. So I thought we were settled. And I remember going in. I sat down, spoke to Tom, and said, "Listen, I wouldn't have wanted to leave, but we've gotten this opportunity to move with my husband's job for two years to London." And I remember he said to me, well, what about if you went and worked for me in the UK? And I thought, OK, well, I've never I did not expect him to say that. I was really shocked. And he said, OK, well, you know, go think about a business plan, come back and, and chat about it in a couple of days. And I was like, well, and that just wasn't I wasn't thinking he would say that I was really excited about it. I thought, you know, that was a massive opportunity and so I came back to him with a plan and came over to the UK. I had I knew no one. I literally knew no one here. And I, I don't know why, but I wasn't worried about that. I probably should have been, but I just thought, you know, I'm going to try my best and that's all you can do. And I remember I rented a desk and I just, people were really friendly. I even in the office where I rented a desk, people would try to, they say, oh, you're in real estate. Let me introduce you to this person and this person. And I always said, yes, I'd always meet them. And they would then introduce me to someone else. But I was part of the Urban Land Institute in the U.S. And so that was one of the first contacts I made here. I said, I called up the ULI and I said, I've moved to London. Can I come sit down and meet with you? And I did. And I joined actually the resi council so i mean it just kind of evolved the more people i met with and then they said well you need to meet this person from the british property federation and you know go sit with the rics like i just started calling people up and saying can i come talk to you about institutional rental housing and no one said no everyone said sure and so i came in and i had a presentation and i said this is what we do it's
0: so you were looking for what jvs or
1: I was just, I was actually just kind of, you know, on the ground research. What is the current environment? What is the appetite for multifamily? Yeah, Who are the existing players? And there
0: was some serious appetite by then, I guess, was there?
1: Not serious. I I didn't think, I thought people were talking about it. I don't think anyone was actually doing it. That was about seven and a half years ago. So at that time, I mean, there was Dolphin Square, of course, but, yeah, and then there was um, Get Living London. There was yeah. East Village, but there what there really weren't a lot of people building multifamily, and so I remember talking, having a lot of early conversations with people and saying, um, you know, multifamily it's it can be a lifestyle choice. Choose to rent, and you you have amenities, and you have services, and you have a management team and a maintenance team internal and people well, said why would anyone want to rent so we just when didn't get it everyone wants to buy that is what people say and i said well but home ownership rates are very similar in the us and the uk and there are reasons why people would choose to rent for uh, flexibility uh, maybe they are somewhere for a couple of years and they don't necessarily want to be encumbered by owning um, they might not want to have to deal with maintenance on their in their off times um, they might not want to deal with all the things that come with being a homeowner. They, they just they might have different reasons, lifestyle choice. Maybe they want to travel. Maybe they want to go, um, you know, do other things, move around, um, have different jobs, different places. And so what I was trying to explain was that there are people that for whatever reason would choose to rent. Maybe it's a lifestyle change. Uh, maybe they're you know selling a home and they want to be closer to the city and walk up in a walkable area. So I was just trying to have that
0: conversation, and so keep 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 talking to me because <laughs> Bazuto, I guess, ended somehow at some so point.
1: So I I worked for them for about six months in the UK, and I was talking every week with the CEO and saying this opportunity is massive, and I think at the time um, they they were growing in the US and they weren't quite ready to come over here. And at that time I thought I was only here for another year and a half. And I thought, okay, what I really would like to do is get some experience, some development experience in London so I have more experience and I can put that on my CV and then I'll be a more well-rounded developer. And so I thought, okay, what I think I should do is for the next year and a half, work for a UK developer, get experience here, and then I could go back and work for them in the States, because I really thought we were moving straight back. Right. So I had the conversation and I just said, you know, I, I think it, there is a massive opportunity here, but I think there's time for me to go get experience and then I'll come back to the Washington and Baltimore market. And so we agreed and we were going to keep in touch and we still do. I mean, I, I speak to Tom, he's, he's become sort of a mentor, I guess, but a, a, a friend and I, I talked to him all the time, but I did. I went and I worked for Granger and I became their director of PRS. Um, so Nick Jopling hired me. Did he? He did. Why do you he think did. he
0: did? I know Nick, but, but why, what do you think you had that he 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 didn't have in his team or needed more of?
1: I think he saw the passion and enthusiasm I had for Bill to Rent and that I really wanted to make it work because I think – I had seen it in the states, and I lived it. I mean, I would spend I, on the weekends. I would go into the, into the developments that I helped build, and I would sit and I would see what people were talking about, and I would ask them how they liked the spaces, and I would see where they were using the spaces. I mean, I was living and breathing it. Yeah. And I think having seen that and seen the communities that it created, I really wanted to help that market grow in the UK. And I think he saw that and we just instantly had a connection.
0: Yeah, and, I've been I, you know,
1: he's he's a wonderful
0: wonderful person. He is and he's a, a very smart guy and and for me it was kind of it's obvious just regardless of your energy and drive and you know brains you've you've lived, you 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 had experience that we didn't have and I found it quite surprising how we've been slow on the uptake of hiring people that have built multifamily. But I've seen that you switch your language to build to rent. So, firstly, I did. I,
1: did. I know I kind of go back you know. <laughs> and forth depending on who I'm speaking to. Right.
0: So. Um, is it here to stay? Built is built to rent here to stay. as an asset class. Is the name here to stay? They're my two next questions. I'm not
1: sure about the name because we had all these roundtables and debates about because we were calling it PRS and yeah. then we said that's not appropriate. I was so calling so. it
0: both PRS and built to rent. <laughs> I, <too. laughs>
1: I think, and then we really did see this shift to build to rent because we were saying you know PRS could be one unit, could be a thousand. It might not be. professional Managed so it did need to have a defined term, and I think people said, "Well, build to rent. What happens once it's built?" I got those questions a lot, but anyway, I think the term is here to stay. It's in the policy documents now. I think people are used to the term.
0: Yeah, I think, Um, and um, I
1: do think people use more kind of in the U.S. They use multifamily, but now it's almost becoming interchangeable. I think if you say multifamily here, yeah, typically people know. I'm not
0: sure that. Back built home. to rent,
1: I don't think. I mean, some companies will know if they have any exposure to the UK market. that They'll know the built to rent term. But generally, it's multifamily in the States and built to rent here.
0: So you had a period at uh, Granger.
1: Yes, I that. did. I was there for two years. So we, we did a lot of interesting things. Um, we were really focused on the pipeline and it was wonderful. I mean, I learned a lot, made a lot of great friends there learned a lot about UK development, planning, and all, you know, policy. And I, I really learned so much there, and I I really thank them for, for that time.
0: And I, I just want to dive in again, because planning, yes, right, having spent more and more time in your great country. I'm no planning expert. You're a developer, I'm not. In, a, in one sentence, could you kind of articulate... Uh, your feelings on the UK planning system and the differences that, that that you've found here to the states.
1: Unclear. Is that I think that's one word. I think what what's been challenging is things around affordable housing. Um, for example, in the States, you know exactly what you need to do. You know exactly what it is, you know the breakdown, you know you have to do whatever it might be, ten percent at this percentage of area median income and you know exactly what that is. So you can stick it straight in your appraisal yeah. and you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. And I think what's quite challenging is like a moving target. So when things change or you don't know if it will change, that's quite challenging.
0: Yeah, I can imagine <laughs> having, thankfully, not having to spend my life too, uh, you know, too involved in that kind of stuff. But what impact do you think that has on the mar- on the market?
1: I think you just have to be constantly aware of changing policy and you need to be in the know. You need to be talking with local authorities and the GLA and you need to just be aware of what's going on at all times so that you can stay ahead of it. So, I mean, I don't see it as a barrier. I just think it's something you have to learn and, you know, know what you're doing with that and try to communicate at all times with your
0: stakeholders and your investors. And so, and so switching the subject again, back to um, your third employer, correct? Yes, Graystar. Yes, yes. So
1: <laughs> I heard that Graystar, and I knew of Graystar from the States, and yeah. they had an amazing reputation. And they, at the time, they managed 500,000 units globally. So I knew I knew them extremely well um, by reputation and I heard that they had some people over here. And I thought, okay, well, they are the best and I, I wanted to be a part of it. So I remember I met uh, Mark Allnut at the Chelsea Flower Show. There was a, a networking event. I think I was there with HTA. And we were walking around and we got to chatting and uh, we decided to have lunch, I think a couple weeks after that. And we sat down and, um, I then went in to meet some other people, had another interview and I just knew it was the right fit. I just thought culturally the way they thought about things, how they wanted to build multifamily or build to rent. I just thought it was such a good fit that it seemed like the right choice. So I just said, you know, I, I told, I just said I'd like to take the opportunity and, um, I, I made the change, so.
0: And and, and over the past so it's what three and a half years.
1: Four four and a half.
0: With Graystar. Mm-hmm. My goodness, sorry. Um, f- uh, my, my, so what? T- tell me what's happened. So I mean, a lot you, has
1: happened. So yeah. I, when I joined, I came on and I was one of the first few people on the development team, and we we grew the team. We. We're doing some really exciting projects. We were doing our Canary Wharf project, Sailmakers. We were doing Greenford, which is our 2000 unit project in Ealing. I think that was at the time. And then we had our chapter, our student portfolio. So at the time, that was yeah. where we were. And then we helped kind of with processes and procedures and pipeline and growing the team and all of those things that come with a growing business. And it was hugely exciting. And now today we have 5,000 units under development in the UK and we're, you know, growing our pipeline as well. And we now have an office in Dublin. Um, So we have.
0: So do we. (laughs) Yes. And
1: we have, uh, let's see, France, Spain, Germany and Netherlands. So we're. Multifamilies coming to all of those countries. So European expansion. And we've grown the office to, you know, almost 300 people in the UK. So it's also including our site teams, but very, very exciting. So right now we have... Our Sailmakers project, so 327 units, that's 70% waste. So very exciting. Amazing. And it
0: looks fantastic. You did have an you incredible been? job. I have yeah. I have been only to the ground floor. Nobody's yet oh, taken me out. i have
1: to take you around. I'll have to take you through. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I think what we found there is the power of the amenity space. So it is just when you go through the development and you see all that you get for living in the community, I think people are blown away yeah. at the amount of time and planning that's gone into all of the spaces. And you can tell that it's somewhere people really want to spend time and our management maintenance teams are incredible and they make it a community. So I've actually spent some time on site. I spent a week there um, in December because I really wanted to just see what it was like to, to spend a week working, working on the operations team. And it was phenomenal. I learned a lot that I wouldn't have known if I hadn't worked there for a week because you hear things and you see things and you realize, okay, that's different. That's a lesson I should have learned. Things like that. I think it's very valuable time to spend.
0: And what would be the one thing that you are looking to attract into the organization in terms of those roles? Because it's not like there's an established talent pool here that people just leave one building over the road and go to the next building.
1: That was challenging, I think, when we were first trying to build the teams here. But we have found incredible people to work in our communities, and then they're building teams under them. So I think, you know, it took a few years to find the right people. But now that we've done that, we're, we're able to, we're getting a bunch of talent. And what's really exciting is that once you have teams, you can then move them. as you have new projects that come it's an opportunity for them to grow so you can move yeah. let's say like your property manager or your community manager would then maybe go to a new site and then the assistant manager can step up and yeah. become kind of take on that new role so it, it really leads to more opportunity
0: i think that's right and from my understanding you know looking at the property management industry before built event arrived it there were less career paths Options, you know, yes, you tended to yes. hit, hit a level and plateau. Whereas now, I think, you what know, well, you truly can go into a multifamily building as a you know graduate mm-hmm. concierge or part timer even exactly. on the desk, and
1: you can see the path. I think that's a big difference in the US and UK markets. That in the US, it's actually a career path. So yeah. they have university degrees in property management. So we used to get people right out of that, and they they would then become a leasing associate. And then they'd go up and become a manager, and then you know, they would go up and up and up. And there was a very clear career path. And I think as you say here, we didn't quite have that. But I do think now with the with the market maturing, it is evolving.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit quicker now in terms of questions because Laura who's sitting here is gonna tell tell me off and, okay. and, and just turn off the machine probably if I keep going. Favorite projects, UK and US. What are the best multifamily projects? Not that you've worked on, but that you've seen that maybe this is
1: Absolutely. So I think in the UK, I, I have to say, Sailmakers, which is our Canary Wharf project, is one of my favorites because I think I was very close to it, quite close to all the details. And on the design side of things, I think to get it right, we went through quite a challenging time where we were we went through several interior designers, and I just had this feeling at the second with the second one that it just wasn't. It just wasn't the right design yet, but then we got it right and it was worth it. It was worth kind of pressing and saying, no, you know, I think we're not, we're not quite there. And I think it just shows go with your instincts. If you think something isn't quite right, just, you know, don't, don't apologize for it. Just make sure that you know it's right. And That's that really was a really advice. exciting project, I think, to see the way the amenity spaces have evolved and the customers are coming in and really enjoying it. And they're loving being in those spaces. They're renting them out. They're using them with their friends. They're they're coming to the events. We had 70 people at the last event. I mean, It's very, very exciting to see that take up. And at the beginning, I think it wasn't quite as high. But as people are learning what these events are, they're, they're really enjoying them.
0: And in the U.S.?
1: In the U.S., I have so many favorite projects. Let's see. I think one of my favorite projects was working um, in at Union Morph, which is a project I did I did in Baltimore, in Maryland, and it was just very exciting because I was one of the first projects that um, I had. I was doing like beginning to end, kind of seeing through, and it was hugely exciting. I think to be learning also as the developer, you're kind of, you're the one in, in charge, you're the one. I remember going into development meetings and I would be probably the youngest by like 30 years or something. And I was probably the only female in the room as well. And I remember just thinking, you know, I'd walk in and think, wow, I'm the only woman in the room. And then I would just say, you know, don't even think about it because there was no real point in getting hung up on that. And I would just have the meeting. And then the more and more I did that, the more comfortable it became. And now I don't, I don't even think of it.
0: Well, I, th- I think in some ways it would be really easy to, to sit here and talk to you about DNI and i uh, you know, for, for half an hour. And, and I've chosen not to do that because um, you are so much more um, uh, than a female in the industry. But what I guess in a very short period of time, you've also become a very high profile f- female in the industry. So w- how does that make you feel? in, in well, five years to be recognized as, you know, top 10, top 20, top whatever, you, you know, that, that your name is mentioned in that light all the time.
1: Well, I find it, it's funny because I just, I think I'm very honest, open person. And I just say the, the things I'm challenged by and the things I'm going through. I tend to be quite, I tell people what I'm thinking and I, I don't know. It's, it, I guess it does surprise me in a way But I just hope that I can help other people understand that I also have challenges. I've had some really challenging times and there's times like I I remember even telling someone I've told this story before, I think in public, I used to be terrified of public speaking, which when I say that people are like, oh, I can't imagine that. And I say, no, I actually was terrified. And the thought of getting up on stage or doing something in front of people, I would do anything to get out of it. And I remember when I was moving over here, I thought this is actually holding me back. I need to just face this fear. And I just started saying yes to things. Yes to speaking at things here and there. and
0: Podcasts.
1: Podcasts. You know, I don't... <laughs> a <laughs> podcast. Um, I, I really enjoy it now because I realize people, they're not there to criticize you. They just want to hear a story. And I generally think people connect through stories and I've just noticed the more I do it. Anyway, so I started saying yes. And then I think last year I spoke at 55 events or something like that. So, quite, But I just say, I try to say yes. That's kind of my, that is my motto or ethos. I just try to say yes. I think push yourself out of your comfort zone when you're getting too comfortable and you feel that, that means you probably need to take a step and do something else. Push yourself into an un, un, into an uncomfortable situation.
0: Yeah i think that's great advice um i'm going to ask you one more question before i get on to my quick fire questions which is the final round most 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 important
1: should i be scared
0: yes very (laughs) very Uh, this comfort zone Uh, you found yourself in i'm I'm going to take you out of it it. um uh, how long are we going to keep you here the uk you know we're lucky to have you um
1: i think we're here I don't know if my dad will listen to this, but he'd be quite sad. I mean, I I love it here. My husband and I are here. We have two kids. I have a my daughter Anne is one, and my son George is three, and you know they're in school. Well, my daughter's she'll start nursery next year. My son is in nursery. He'll be in school next year, and so I mean we're fully immersed here. And
0: and so Grace Star's yeah. ambition is to continue to grow across the UK and Europe. It, it the is stands, and think. Europe.
1: So there's they have you know we have massive ambition. There's massive opportunity and it's very exciting. So our team, the development construction team is now, you know, 26 people. So we've grown wow. and I've, I've had the opportunity to be a part of a lot of that. So I feel very fortunate.
0: And what's your number one challenge, professionally speaking? What's holding you back, if anything?
1: I think right now there's just a lot of competition for sites. Um, so just if we're talking more like a deal perspective, I think we want to do things a certain way and we want to have, you know, close to transit. We want to have the scale. We want to have the design that's appropriate for rental, that's you know, purpose built. We want to have enough amenity space that you can build a community and have the operational space and the back of house space. So I think it's, you know, the standards that we have, we're looking for excellent sites, product, people. And I think just holding a high standard is very important, Yeah. but it also comes with there's increased competition for those sites. So I think, you know, very exciting, lots of opportunity again, as as I said, but um, I think it's exciting to see the way the market has grown, especially in, in the last three years. It feels like we went from talking about it theoretically about seven years ago
0: yeah.
1: to four years ago, people started building, And now I feel like we're seeing the first wave of built rent projects and then almost starting the second. So I think what we what we'll see in three and four years will be very different than what we're seeing today.
0: I totally agree with you. Well, this is going out to a couple of hundred thousand people. So hopefully there there are some good land brokers out there. (laughs) and um no doubt they'll get in touch so before i let you go and i know you've got to go because you're super busy i I want to ask you i think five quick fire questions if you're game sure let's do it first one everyone has to answer it bowie or the beatles the beatles dogs or cats dogs texting or talking
1: talking for sure
0: um (laughs) favorite city in the u.s
1: richmond virginia
0: and the final one is, that's already five. I'm going to add, add my, my favorite question last. And everybody has to ask, answer this one as well. If there's one piece of real estate in the world, anywhere in the world, that you could own, what would it be and why?
1: Oh, wow. One piece of real estate. I think, I think it would probably be a farm in Charlottesville, Virginia, because that is where I feel at home.
0: Well, wow. it's brilliant. I love I love everybody's answer to that question because I haven't heard the same one twice. And like you say, stories really are what, from my perspective, Make this whole thing super interesting. Michelle, you're a total legend. Um, and I can't wait to see what you continue to do with your career. The UK is lucky to have you. And I, I thank you very much for doing this podcast with me. Thank oh, you. Well, it
1: was lovely to talk to you. Thank you for having me.
0: Pleasure. You can join the DS movement by visiting ds.devilsmith.com, and you will receive the latest DevCast episode direct to your inbox.